Cheers. Fuck. Well, um, funny story. First off. Oh, first off. You're Kane or I, Nambi. Welcome to the Plumacy Games podcast. Yes, 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 yes. And we happen to be drinking at uh, the Green Beacon Brewery, which is in Tenerife. Yeah. Um, We've we've drunk around here before um, at the... Newstead Brewery. Newstead Brewery. Yep. And I must have... Oh, sorry. You keep going. I know what your story's going to be, and I can add my bit on at the end of your story. Keep going. Oh no 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 no! I'll, 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 I'm I'm having a apple cider. Oh, that's an apple I, cider I, now. I, I did change drinks, and there's a story behind why I changed drinks. Oh, okay. Um, but my initial my initial drink was what you're having right now, Andy. The um, Windjammer IPA. Windjammer IPA, which is quite a tasty drop. But I fear if I have too much of it, I'll be very very drunk. Oh, so, what's wrong with that? <laughs> it's only six percent. They got another one there, which is seven percent. Yep, yep, yep. And they got another one inside a keg that's still being cooked. That's ten percent. Ooh. <laughs> oh, maybe we'll. Maybe we'll have to and you'd think I probably had a few of those when I kind of turned up, got out the recording device, said, "Ready to record, Kana?" Audio. And um, we're missing an SD card. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd taken it out to do some editing when I went away. Just prior I think to Christmas right and just obviously clearly forgot to put it back in so um, well for the last half an hour I've gone walking around the local neighborhood <laughs> visiting three different stores until I could find an SD card which thankfully you have so and the good part is this one is a 64 gig so it's now got a hundred hours of recording on it <laughs> which is like Oh, that's what that one means. Yeah. 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 Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> don't have to worry about... Oh, well, that's what? That's a whole year's worth of more. That's... Yeah, it's at least a year, if not more. <laughs> you don't have to look, have to worry about it. Cheers. Well, cheers. But the good part about actually walking around the neighbourhood is um, getting a bit of a feel for Tenerife. Right. So Tenerife is, as you said before, we have been at the Newstead Brewery. Tenerife's kind of like a sub-location in Newstead. So it's kind of like a... It's, it's kind of like where I live in Stones Corner. It's a sublocation of Green Slopes. It's. I get the feeling it's an old industrial estate which is being renovated. Oh. Massively. Quite heavily. Massively renovated to um, apartments and condos. And so, so, just like within the local area, from just walking like 100 metres out, out of the bar, it kind of gives you a bit of a feel for the area. First place you walk past is a cafe. Across right. the road is an upmarket coffee shop with baristas with the big, you know, beard and everything like that. Oh yes, yep, yep. Next to the cafe is a uh, LGBT queer health center. Okay, yes. Next to that is a CrossFit gym. Oh. So it's kind of like. Radio. And then, like, literally within about 50 meters to go around the corner, there's another type of CrossFit gym of another company. Oh, right. And around the corner from that is another location that maybe, if we're feeling up to it, we should probably go to, which is called, I think it's called, um, maybe is it Newstead Social? or I think it's called Newstead Social. It's basically a gastropub. Gastropub? Gastropub. What's that? You don't have to been to a gastropub? No. Oh, okay. So like, from when I lived in the UK, in London, there are lots and lots of gastropubs. So it's like a pub, but yeah. with quite, just not with normal run-of-the-mill stodgy pub meals. It's kind of like a... 
it's a, tick, it's a step up. You know what I mean? The quality of the food. Oh, like a um, a go, go. What's that French term? It's uh, like a Michelin star type of like, not quite like that, no, but, no. but it's a gastronome type of thing. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. Okay, so you're not buying. Um, you're not buying bangers and mash or a big breakfast. Well, you might, but you might get like a very upmarket bangers and mash. Uh, well presented, like a chef made, not a not a cook. And seeing um, when I kind of went and asked when I got ordered my other beer because I kind of as soon as I came back from walking around in the summer heat, I just went down went a whole down pipe went pretty half much. A, half a pint, yeah. Um, so I happened to um, I don't know where I was going with this, but basically came back out oh, a bit hungry now also after walking around. well did you want to split this I mean, we weren't planning well, I, on it no, would you like yeah. to do a Maybe. dual yeah, 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 yeah. because right. the only thing they've got here is is uh, bags of packets of chips or crisps uh, that's not so the, the yeah. toasties I don't have any toasties um, let me just check I'll, I'll get for you here the menu of the uh, Newstead Social food menu are they open? yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're okay. open Right until 12 o'clock tonight. Oh, well, long, long hours. Very long hours. Food menu. Have a look at that whilst I um, just have a bit of a yarn to, to the, um, okay. the podcast listeners. So, my wit jammer, folks. This is one of the reasons I came to this place. So, obviously, at the moment, we're recording yeah, this yes. um, between Christmas and New Year. And part of it was like, hey, you're on holidays. Mm-hmm. I'm on holidays. Mm-hmm. We should actually get our fucking act together for once. And instead of having like an episode coming out once a month, let's try to get a little bit back to the, our roots, which is like a little bit more frequent than that. So hopefully this will come out about two weeks after the Christmas episode. And by the way, please give your feedback on the Christmas episode because it t- took a fuckload of time to do all that editing, adding in ticking clocks and alarms going off and like all this, and all this extra bits and pieces kind of spliced in um, and it would be good to know that people actually if they kind of felt that's worth the extra effort or whether you're just happy to have two blokes in a pub drinking and talking diplomacy with that and all the other extra sound effects and shit like that but it's still Christmas so it's still it's a fun Christmas episode. but it was fun yeah. to do it was a fun to do and that was yeah. that was a great part of that but because it is around that time so look we're, we're recording during the middle of the day um, it's kind of way past lunch time, it's about 1.45 in it, so... Which is why we're just sort of having that discussion around um, jumping to a place that does, does yes. meals. Yep. Well, the reason I came here is, uh, and suggested here, is um, A, we've got the time to, for you to get a little bit further afield. Correct. Um, but this is, what I'm drinking, the Windjammer IPA, is my current favourite beer. What's it like as an opening? So I would say it is a, it's, it's... You don't want to overplay your hand, but this is like, fuck, I'm, I'm Germany and I've accidentally picked up three supply centres. I kind of expected to bounce France and Belgium or England and Belgium, but somehow or other I've got Belgium and Holland and Denmark. Oh, bravo. So, um, yep. And I've got Russia Sweet, you know, I've got a Mel Call type of Russia Germany alliance happening here. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the glass of an ideal diplomacy opening, but maybe too ideal a diplomacy opening. Oh, I see, so so there's danger in opening up so well. And that's the problem about having a slightly more alcoholic beer. After, you know, a couple of these, <laughs> your, your mid-game it. is just gonna go. 
As everyone well, goes, let's let's take advantage of this bastard. Yeah. Oh well, my opening, very much. My, my my drink, and the cider's just as good as the, uh, as the wind jammer in my opinion. I'll just swap. Um, so my opening is still very much the same. It's a it's a solid alliance with Ambi Ooh. at the start of the game. Yep. And he's just picked up three supply centres. <laughs> Are you, are you my Russia I, I to Russia. my Germany? Yep. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm um, in, a, in a good position in Scandinavia, and I've got a good ally on my Western Front. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Germany, yeah. <laughs> so that's what mine's like. It's a very tasty drop. So in which case, you must have, what, you've picked up Sweden uncontested? I you've moved Moscow Sweden up uncontested. to St. P? Yes. Yep. Oh, and you've managed to well, you bounced England out of Norway? You must have. Uh, no, I couldn't have done that if I'd gotten Sweden. Um, no, you could have, because you could have gone St. P to Finland or Gulf of Bothnia, and then he's straight to Sweden uncontested. No, 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 And you would have moved Moscow up to St. P and then to... Ba- no, 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 you're using no. Moscow and other I, I have a fleet in Sweden, an army in Finland, right? I've got Romania, and I've bounced in the Black Sea. So you haven't kind of... So I've got a build. I've got two army. I've got an army and a fleet got two on dots. Norway. Yep. So there's an army dropping or a fleet dropping in the same... So why bird. do you think that's better than just blocking England from actually just keeping England three? By bouncing, if you will. Because I've got a good firm ally in Germany who... You don't want to kind of overshow your hand. No, no. Whose no? who's fleet in Denmark yeah. is going to cut support to Norway, so I'm going to remove Norway with uh, with, with German support. Okay, okay, yeah, I can right. I can do that. I can I can take you that. Do that, yeah. But but and why then, if there's such a great opening, did you then decide to go to the the cider? Was it just it was just too good? Um. Yeah, no, because I, I just like cider. <laughs> 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 The last joint we went to, I ended up on the side of it. You didn't have one, and it was like the fucking Willie Smith. Yes. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Two hour lovely drinks, (laughs) and by now I can say to feel that uh, that drink started to kick in. So, um, look, look. One of the things that we've obviously wanted to try to do for a long while, and you know, we've we've shown over many many episodes our interest in artificial intelligence and the and. The game of diplomacy. Yes, you know we've we've kind of had many different people on, yes. um, and we have had previously uh, Kestis on talking about what WebDip was doing with Meta. You know the yep. uh, parent of, of Facebook, and even my... even before that with the bots. Oh, like with the yeah, initial exactly. yeah, yeah, establishment yeah, yeah. of um, yeah. But yeah, there's that. Things, you know, yeah. we've talked to the guys from DARPA. We've talked to you know a lot of lot of different people in this particular space. Yep. And the one thing that I was really, really keen on was because, like, we had this surprise announcement from um, uh, Meta, and probably the main spokesman being Noam Brown, yes. around what they were able to achieve with an actual communicative bot. So, which was well, there's a whole science really well. article there. Yeah, well, if the, you want to read, yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, it's like proper hardcore published science. Yes, and you yep. know AI research. Yeah. Yep. And this has been one thing which has been really not just caught the imagination of diplomacy players, but, you know, this is the first time, I think, since that very small blip when, unfortunately, Alan died, 
that there was like this vague general mass media recognition of this thing called diplomacy as a game not just as a you know foreign policy type of aspect yeah and it was great to kind of see but the great thing about all that was and also because we're so fucking useless with getting our act together recent times (laughs) we weren't the first cab off the rank to talk to know but that's been good because we've both had a chance to you know listen to his interview um uh, with David Hook on DBN. Yes. You know, there's a lot of videos that are out there at the moment that are produced on YouTube from Meta. Um, yeah. Obviously, Marcus Zilstrov, who's had a lot of experience over the years with them, has been doing his own, you know, up-against-the-box type of thing. And if you haven't had the opportunity, I highly recommend jumping onto Diplostrats and watching um, Marcus play against six other, six bots, play against the AI. Yeah, it, yeah. It was, it was really an interesting and... Uh, uh, worthwhile watch but the good thing about all that i think kana and the way we kind of approach this was like so what were the questions that haven't been asked so far today yeah so you know there's been lots of you know big headlines and everything like that but Mm -hmm. you know what are some of the elements of the game mechanics and the way that the bot works and where things are all going so that's what we really wanted to kind of explore uh with no and um i must admit i was surprised that we actually got through i mean this is one that we prepared for in, in a quite substantial way with our questions and everything. Yes. Yep. And I'm surprised we got through pretty much most of the questions. The interview takes about an hour or so, but um, I think it's it's well worth it if you've got an interest in where things are going, uh, particularly with AI and, and obviously the game that we all love. I, I did have one question that I forgot to ask, but I'll, oh, um, I'll, I'll bring it up after the uh, after the interview because mm. it truly is an interesting interview, and um, let's chat about it on the other side. Sounds great. All right, so let's go and get a bite to eat, and um, we'll catch you guys uh, in in just a moment. No problem. Bye bye. Name Brown, thank you so much for joining us on the Diplomacy Games podcast. I'm happy to be here. Um, look, one thing I think we mentioned just before we, we started recording is that, look, uh, I've, we've, we've both had a bit of a look at um, some of the videos that you've been involved in, you know, explaining around Cicero and how it all works, um, you know, whether that was your interview with DBN, um, some of the, the uh, interviews done with you and your engineering team and also with Andrew Goff on the actual uh, on YouTube from Meta. Um, but there was a couple of things that we just wanted to kind of just touch the scene for those listeners who haven't um, haven't got a really deep understanding or haven't listened to any of those at this stage. We might just begin with a couple of, of, of things and then we'll just see where things go. Um, in one of your videos, I think on DBN, you mentioned uh, how you got to this um, point in your diplomacy uh, career, and I'll use career in air quotes. Um, so when you kind of started this off, I think you, you kind of, you know, you mentioned that you originally were, you know, you got into this in high school and then college, but the difficulty was always trying to find somebody to, you know, have sufficient seven people to play with. Could you talk a little bit around that and, and what your early days experiences were with the game? Yeah, I started playing diplomacy when I was in high school, um, a few friends of mine uh, and I would get together. Um, I, I thought it was a fascinating game. I mean, I was never very good at it. Um but it was just so different from all the other games out there. And so I really like respected it for that reason. Um, I did play it also in college a little bit. Uh, we would play like online uh, on web diplomacy actually. Um, and I would also like sometimes go to uh, to tournaments. So I, I was like uh, kind of like a casual participant in the TNI society in, in the DC area when I was living there after undergrad. And I went to um, 
let's see, I went to the, I went to a tournament in 2015, and then in 2017, I went to uh, the World DipCon in Oxford, where I did okay. And I think I also went to the 2018 World DipCon that was, I believe, in D.C. as well. So from that point of time, obviously, you've, you've got a bit of a passion for the game. Um, how were you able, I mean, and again, your videos talk a little bit around, uh, particularly I think the meta ones around how you were kind of then got into AI, both as a, as a subject in college, got more into the economics field, went, really can't do much with this. I actually prefer doing, you know, building things, uh, which is, I think, what you did in one of your um, your subjects. <clears throat> and started looking at other things. You started looking at, you know, poker and so forth. And then when you end up kind of having conversations, um, obviously around, you know, diplomacy and how that could possibly work because of the challenge that was involved, um, because, you know, everything's been done to, to death, I suppose, nowadays when you consider things like, you know, chess and go and whatever like that. And I think you've talked about before um, previously around the complexity around the game. Why, I mean, I, I think I think people kind of call these things, you know, wicked problems. Why would you tackle diplomacy of all things? Because it seems to be like almost like the, the hardest thing you could possibly do when it comes to the nuance of how people communicate in a language, particularly when you're using that as an, as an actual uh, natural language composition, compose, com, sorry, natural language um, component of, of your agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we chose it because it was the hardest thing we could think of, uh, the hardest game we could think of to make an AI for. So, uh, I mean, I guess to backtrack a little bit, I, when I started grad school, I was actually thinking, I, I started grad school in computer science. I had, an, I had a background in economics, but I actually switched to computer science and artificial intelligence because, uh, and, and game theory because I, I was really interested in building things. And so when I started grad school, there were two directions that I was considering going. Um, one was to make an AI for poker, and one was to make an AI for diplomacy. And um, I, I chose I chose poker because, first of all, like there, there had been much more research on how to make an AI for poker, and it was like an active research area, um, and it seemed much more attainable. Um, diplomacy, like I, I kind of like thought about it. Um, I thought it'd be interesting, especially for like gunboat diplomacy. It seemed kind of kind of feasible. Um, I thought it would be like a really interesting game theory problem, but um, but it just seemed it just seemed much more difficult, especially not to mention like the, the natural language component. Um, and so I, I focused on on poker, and I was really glad that I did because that was I, I think in retrospect like trying to work on diplomacy back in like 2012 would would not have worked out well. Um, and yeah, so I worked on poker for about six years of grad school. In 2017, we made an AI that that beat top humans in in two player no limit Texas Hold'em poker. Um, followed that up in 2019 with uh, an AI that could beat top humans in six player no limit Texas Hold'em poker. And around that time, we were deciding what to work on next. And it really, you know, 2019 was it was a very exciting year for for AI. Um, I mean, pretty much every year since like 20, 2014 has been an exciting year for AI. Um, but in 2019, you had um, not just the poker result, but you also had AIs beating humans in StarCraft and Dota 2. And then you had um, incredible progress in large language, mo- in language modeling in particular. So we had GPT-2, um, which was the first, the first, uh, you know, the precursor to GPT-3, and already there you could see that the performance was, was incredible. Um, and so we realized the field was progressing much more rapidly than, you know, a lot of people had expected. And so we wanted to pick a challenge that, even if it took a couple of years to, you know, like if, even if it took like five years to figure out, would still be impressive by the time we figured it out. Um, and, and so we landed on diplomacy because we really felt like diplomacy 
was this game where you can't just take existing techniques and scale them up. You really do have to develop something new, some new techniques to be able to tackle this game. Um, and, and we figured it would take, you know, maybe 10 years to figure out, but we, we were okay with that. I mean, the whole point of, of doing research is that you're trying to, to figure new things out and you don't really know what the path to success is. And it's pretty normal for a research direction to sometimes take 10 years to, to sort out. Um, and, and so, so that's, that's how we arrived at diplomacy. Um, it was an ambitious project. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised that we managed to get to where we are after three years. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad that we, we went for something ambitious there. Um, were you actually an employee of, of Meta when you made the pitch or you were kind of made it externally? Uh, no, yeah, I, I was I was already a, a Meta employee. So I had tossed around the idea of like diplomacy AI as a future benchmark even before joining Meta um, or shortly afterwards at least. But yes, I, I, I was already a Meta employee. So I did the six-player poker work while I was at Meta. And then um, after that was when we decided to pursue uh, diplomacy. Um, and what, what what was the actual, what were the views within the organization when you proposed it? I mean, what were the benefits that you were putting forward and, you know, how, how did they, how did they approach that? So I, I'm part of a research organization in Meta called FAIR, uh, stands for Fundamental AI. It used to stand for Facebook AI Research, but since... Facebook was changed to Meta. Now it stands for Fundamental AI Research. And the organization really is focused on doing fundamental AI research, like trying to advance the whole field without um, necessarily having a specific product in mind. And so it's like totally, totally normal to just try to do ambitious research that will give us new insights into AI that will be broadly applicable um, and, and to open source the research, make it available to the, to the whole community. So really just trying to push the field forward. And you know, we made the pitch that diplomacy is this big unanswered question. There's this big question around how could you even make an AI that could do this kind of strategic reasoning in natural language. And if we could unlock it, then, you know, there's potential um, potential benefits downstream. And uh, and that also, I mean, if we were successful, then it would be recognized as as a big deal. Uh, and I, and I there was, there was some debate about that, I mean, especially because, like, diplomacy is, is not the most well-known game. Um, would people really care if we were successful? Um, but, you know, we made the case that I think that people would be. I think that they, that they would recognize the scientific achievements. Certainly the machine learning community would care. And, and also that, you know, the wider public might care as well because you look at a game like Go, um, I mean, AlphaGo beating Lisa Dahl was a huge moment in AI, but it was also widely recognized in the general public as, as a big achievement, even though most people, myself included, had not played Go um, I, mean, I guess I played a few a few games, but like no, I haven't played Go seriously, and I'm sure most people in America have not played Go seriously. Um, it was still widely recognized outside the AI community as a big deal, and so we felt like diplomacy would be something similar. Where yeah, even if most people haven't played diplomacy, um, they would recognize that having an AI that could interact with people strategically in natural language would be a big deal, um, and, and and so that that, that was the pitch and. Um, and and they were excited for it. I mean, I think they were excited for it for the scientific reasons, uh, and I think they um, they were willing to trust us. And, and I was really pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's not an easy thing to agree to a long term research agenda where you know the, the people are telling you like, yeah, this could take like five or ten years. Um, but they they were willing to uh, to invest in that, nevertheless. 
And when you kind of had, <coughs> excuse me, with that with that research team, when you kind of started having conversations around this game, were they aware of diplomacy before that and what the potential was? And and look, I'll, I'll ask the obvious question: Have you actually converted them to the game? Like, do they play themselves now, apart from just being part of their work environment? So we did play one game of diplomacy pretty early on in the project, just to give people a feel for it. And after that, we quickly agreed to never play another game. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not, the, it's it's not, not the exactly a good way of building trust in the team, is it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it's not the best, like you know, team building exercise. Um, we we did play um, another game where everybody was anonymous, and so there was like you know, I guess more justification saying like, oh, I didn't know it was you when I stabbed you. Um, a, a lot of people on the team actually were were not into diplomacy. They uh, they did not enjoy the game. Um, I think there were only like one or two other people that were playing it intensely besides myself um, as the project progressed. Like, I think only two people have played on, on the team have played more than like five games. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I, I think that's okay. Right. Like when you're doing this kind of research, you don't want to approach it from the angle of, Oh, we're going to like make something that's very, very specific to diplomacy. And so in some ways, like not having a very strong background in the game, kind of frees you from thinking about it in a purely di- diplomacy mindset. Um, on the other hand, I think it was useful that like at least myself and a couple others had played the game um, and, and understood the strategy and understood like what techniques were worth pursuing and, and what techniques were not worth pursuing. You, you talked a little bit about this being done by open source, you know, with sharing the code and so forth. Um, <clears throat> At the same time that you're doing this, I mean, I'm conscious that there's been a lot of other research teams doing similar things within universities. Were you kind of aware about these things and were you kind of keeping up to date and was that impacting at all on how you approached the project scope or did it um, just, you know, you maintained that that focus the whole time through what you were trying to achieve? Well, we, we knew that people have been working on diplomacy for a long time. So, for example, there's there's work from uh, Sari Krauss going back all the way to the 80s on diplomacy and um and that was partly why we we chose it because this was a domain that the academic community cared about recognized as as a challenge problem so you know that that was one of our that was one of our um our criteria actually that we didn't want to come up with a a domain that we're just making up ourselves that nobody else really recognizes as a challenge problem the fact that the academic community recognized diplomacy as a challenge problem as something that's worth researching um and that that was demonstrated by previous research was, was a reason to uh, to work on it. Um, and so I, I was surprised at, at how much interest, it seemed like everybody became interested in diplomacy around the same time. So when I started pitching diplomacy internally and then talking to other researchers, um, they actually pointed me to, to Mila and um, the fact that they were already doing research on diplomacy. It hadn't been published at the time, um, but, but they were already pretty far along. And so I was actually like happy about that. Um, uh, you know, there's, I think they, they maybe maybe a couple of people were like a little concerned that I would be um, upset because I would feel like Mila is scooping us. But I mean, I I was I was you know in general I was trying to promote more people doing research on diplomacy because I really do think it's it's a great domain for research, and the more people that do research on it, uh, the more meaningful it is as a benchmark. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I, I I was happy to see that uh, that Mila was working on it uh, around you know. I, I didn't um, know when I pitched it that they had been working on it, but I found out afterwards, and that was that was great to see. And then also DeepMind, I had been talking to people at DeepMind for for a couple of years about the idea, the possibility of diplomacy as a benchmark, and and they had always been interested in it, though nobody really ever, you know, took 
took charge in making it happen. And so I was happy to also see that around the same time, DeepMind also started investing heavily in, in AI research on, on diplomacy as a benchmark. And we started to see publications from them as well. Kainer, I think you've got a couple of a couple of questions you wanted to ask as well, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in all of this uh, obviously takes a lot of computing power. <laughs> um, what what sort of um, what sort of rig have you guys got set up to run Cicero to to do that that natural language strategic reason uh, strategic reasoning? Well, it's definitely not cheap. Uh, so to actually run Cicero um, at at test so it actually played in a game with humans. It requires fifty six GPUs, um, and each message it generates requires, you know, maybe like fifteen seconds, um, ten or fifteen seconds. So it, it's a very um, it's a very expensive operation to to actually run the bot. This is partly why we didn't make it um, publicly uh, available to for people to play with. Um, because it would just, you know, to, to get people to play with this, like six copies of Cicero would just be like astronomically expensive. I mean, we can do that in, in some, in some cases for like a short period of time. Um, we did that for example, um, you know, for, for some of uh, the people that we've been working with like Marcus. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is not cheap. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it was so effective, actually, that a lot of these AI models, they spent a lot of time and uh, and resources training them but then you know when it comes time to actually run them they're very they're very cheap to run and the fact that we were able to invest a lot of computational resources when it's actually playing the game as well with with humans um is partly why it was able to do so much better now that comes with the drawback of it's much more expensive to actually run but that if you know if you're trying to win the game that that's a trade-off that's that's worth making I was actually going to ask one quick question um, because I was going to ask this later on, but you've, you've touched on it now. So there's no plans at the moment to actually make Cicero and being able to play against Cicero publicly available in a more longer term sense? So we opened we open sourced all the code and models. And so if somebody wanted to, they could actually run Cicero um, and, and play with it and, and make it publicly available for people to play with. Um, it's just a question of like, does anybody really want to invest 56 GPUs? I mean, you can probably, you can probably get the cost down. If you're not as time sensitive or you don't want as good a quality of solution as we were generating, you could probably get the cost down substantially, but it's still not cheap to, to run. Uh, but if there is somebody out there with a the technical know-how and, and the desire to make a diplomacy bot that people can play with, the, it's all open sourced. It, the code and the models are all there. Um, and we're actually also making the training data available for people to like apply for, and we, we can grant access to that as well. Um, and we got some partnership with webdiplomacy.net, so, so they have a, a say in who gets approved as well. Um, but yeah, this, this is all open source. And so, you know, if anybody, if any of the listeners out there really want to play with Cicero, um, it's not easy. You know, it requires like a lot of technical know-how, but it is possible to do. Okay, cool. I was I was asking because I can kind of see hypothetically if it was made available, <clears throat> excuse me, and you know it was being actively promoted and pushed by by Meta um, as an actual um, public product that you could, it would obviously have a big impact on the diplomacy community because so many more people would get involved. <clears throat> excuse me in, in that. So um, that was that was my angle. Sorry, well, sorry, not my angle. That was why I was asking those particular sets of questions. I was trying to look at you know to what extent this could actually help uh, expand that the awareness and knowledge of the game so that people would suck in more and more into it. Um, sorry, Kane, or I did cut you off before you had something else you wanted to ask. Oh no, that just sort of leads me into a follow up question. And the does the AI actively learn 
ongoing inside the game? Like, does it get so? So each time it's been run against human compo- uh, opponents, does that increase its knowledge base, or does it does it learn inside the game um, that oh maybe this strategy isn't working and it's willing to change its direction? Um, how does that work, no more? Does it sort of work on a predetermined kind of broad strokes series of uh, strategies that it thinks about and goes, okay, I'm going to follow this kind of strategy and wherever that kind of may lead? Between between games, it, it does not adapt. So it approaches each game fresh um, and it won't, it won't like improve its strategy between games. Uh, certainly, it spent a lot of time playing diplomacy in self-play before, you know, during, during training. So it's, it's played more games of diplomacy than like any human on earth, certainly Uh, probably like millions or trillions of games. Um, Maybe, maybe millions, I should say. Um, And so it doesn't really get that much extra benefit from like training on a few more when it's actually playing with humans. Um, It will certainly adapt within a game. So it will look at the previous moves, the previous conversations that it's had, and um, use that to model how it thinks other players are going to act in the future um, and what they think the bot will do in the future. Yeah, so yeah. within a game, yes. Between games, no. Okay. Um, and I guess that leads, you mentioned new novel techniques um, that were needed to, to, to sort of approach this kind of project. Is that that connection between language and strategic outcome, I imagine, um, would have been very difficult to achieve. Is, is, is that one of the novel techniques and what other ones were um, required to get this thing successful? Uh, so the novel techniques, yeah, definitely one of them was integrating strategic reasoning with natural language. Um, and so the fact that we have this dialogue model that we can condition on certain intentions, certain actions, that is. Um, so like we can say, we can feed into the dialogue model Hey, you know this. The the actions for this turn are, you know, Eddie to Belgium and North Sea convoys Eddie to Belgium, and um, you know, and I don't know what else. Like Norwegian goes to Norway. Uh, you feed that into the dialogue model, and then it will understand that it should try to generate a message consistent with that plan. So it might say, Hey, France, can you support me into Belgium? Can you can you support Eddie to Belgium? Or it might tell Russia, like, hey, I'm taking Norway with the fleet. Um, now, it, it's not constrained to talking specifically about the moves that it intends to make. It, it could talk more freely um, about, like, oh, you know, hey, Russia, it looks like Turkey uh, is getting very strong. And maybe, maybe you should be worried about that. Um, or we also condition on actions for the other player. And so, you know, if, if, our, if, our intent, our, if the intention that we're feeding into the dialogue model is for France to support us into Belgium, then we can tell them like, hey, can you please support us into Belgium? Um, and so that, that was one of the, the key innovations. It, it allowed us to spend a lot of computation coming up with really good strategies and then have the dialogue communicate that strategy with the other players. Um, I think some of the other breakthroughs is figuring out like how do we even train a dialogue model that we can control in this way. So, um, you know, for that, we had to look at the data, the human data that we have, and understand, okay, well, when these people are exchanging these messages, 
these are the moves that they're really talking about. Um, and then another key breakthrough was how do we even come up with this strong strategy in the, in the first place? I mean, even forgetting about the dialogue, how do we um, model what we think the other players are going to do? How do we figure out how to best respond to those strategies that we think they're going to do? How do we model the fact that the players can be conspiring behind our back and are able to coordinate even though we can't overhear their conversations? Um, these are all, uh, that, that, that's one of the things that I think is, is really interesting about Cicero is that it's really not just one key idea that we then scaled up. It's actually several ideas, several novel ideas that together made it possible to um, achieve this level of performance. Yeah, and, and out, of, out of interest, what was the actual solution to, um, to, to the AI learning that you know, other players might be talking about it behind its back? Uh, that was that was tricky. Um, it ended up that was actually something that stumped stumped me and stumped the team for a long time, and we eventually found a solution that I'm pretty happy with, where we basically learn it from the human data. Like from the human data, we can see, okay, well, in this situation, these players, you know, tend to coordinate in this way, you know, like in Italy or like Austria convoys the. Um, you know the the Italian army from uh, from Tunis to our to Syria, and um, and so they coordinate. They managed to coordinate in that way, and um, and so we we can in, improve those predictions. We don't just rely on the human data. We can improve those predictions by recognizing what is strategically sensible from each player's perspective. Like we can reasonably assume that they're going to choose actions that are good for them more often and choose ac and actions that are bad for them they will choose like less often and, and so by it, by accounting for that we can actually improve the quality of our predictions but largely it does rely on these kinds of coordinations occurring in the human data set that we have fascinating Amby. <laughs> Sorry, I accidentally kind of covered up a window and I couldn't unmute myself. <laughs> um, sorry about that. So, yeah, I've got a couple of other quick questions um, around what, what you've talked about in there, Noam. So um, you, you actually talked around, you know, how, how to approach that when it comes to human players and so forth. And I remember in one of the, one of the interviews you, you did have a conversation around in the early days if you had, you know, um, six uh, agents playing a human, the human just got absolutely smashed really, really quickly. But if it was six humans against an agent, the agent tended to lose, um, you know, in, rather than, than in one of the humans. Uh, how did you kind of go with that over time and improving the way that worked? Yeah, I, I approached diplomacy from the angle of the previous game AI research in poker and chess and go and these kinds of games. And my viewpoint gradually shifted as the project progressed. If you look at a game like two player poker, all you have to do to learn how to beat top humans is just do self play. You just have the bot start from scratch playing totally randomly and then play against itself in millions or billions or trillions of hands of poker. And it will eventually figure out, what actions are good, what actions are bad. It will play the good ones more often. It will play the bad ones less often. And it will, if you do it the right way, it will converge to this unbeatable strategy, this equal, what we call uh, an equilibrium, a minimax equilibrium. 
And that Minimax equilibrium is guaranteed to not lose to any human, to anybody, um, in the long run. If you play enough, if you play enough hands, if you play enough games, um, because there's, there's always a luck factor, but the luck will average out in the long run. Um, and you know, you can see this, for example, in a game like rock paper scissors, right? Like rock paper scissors, there's the Minimax equilibrium, which is to ra- randomize equally between throwing rock, paper, and scissors. And if you do that, then no matter what the other player does, then in the long run, you're not going to lose an expectation. Um, you're not going to lose on average. Now, rock, paper, scissors is not the best example for this because in the long run, you're just going to end up tying no matter what the person does. Like they could just throw a rock every single time and you're still going to end up tying them. Um, but in a more complex game like poker, it's actually really difficult for the other person to understand, to figure out exactly what they should be doing or what actions they should be randomizing between in all these different situations. And so they end up making mistakes. And because of that, you end up winning in expectation in practice. Um, you know, another example is chess, you know, like figuring out what are the optimal actions that I could take. It's obviously very difficult. And so if you're playing the perfect strategy in chess, then in practice, the other player is going to lose because they're going to make mistakes. Um, and so in all of these games, like chess, go, poker, um, there is this perfect strategy, this minimax equilibrium, which if you compute it, you are guaranteed to not lose. Um, and so I approached diplomacy initially with this in mind. The problem is that diplomacy is not a two-player zero-sum game. And this kind of result, this minimax equilibrium result, is only true for two-player zero-sum games, at least in theory. Um, and we actually, so we, we started out using approaches very similar to what we used in poker. And what we found is that if you trained a bot, a diplomacy bot, similar to the way you train a go bot or a poker bot, you end up with a bot that's extremely strong in two player diplomacy. And in fact, we actually ran these experiments in a, what's called the France versus Austria variant. It's like this two player variant of diplomacy. And it would just crush all the humans in this variant. It was very, very strong. Um, We then ran the same algorithm in seven-player diplomacy. And what we found is that if you take six copies of this bot and stick one human in the game, then the human will get crushed. But if you stick one copy of this bot in a game with six humans, then the humans will crush it. It, The the bot will get destroyed. Um, And the reason for this is... The bot ends up playing in this very alien metagame that it just assumes everybody is following. Like, because everybody, as far as its training is concerned, all the other players are just copies of itself. And so it can it can get stuck in this metagame that is totally sensible if everybody else is following it, but is very different from the human metagame. And so it won't understand how to cooperate with humans in, in the human game. Like when it's when it's six copies of itself. And one human, that's totally fine. The human, if anything, should be trying to adopt the metagame of the other six players then. Um, But in a game with six humans, the humans are going to follow the human metagame, and the bot is going to be really confused and and not understand how to uh, cooperate with the other players. Um, I mean, some examples of this is like the metagame that the bot would found was like having Austria attack Italy in spring 1901, which is generally considered a really bad idea. But Apparently, there's a metagame where that is totally a totally reasonable thing to do. It, it also involves like, times and it works well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't I mean, doesn't like, necessarily mean that that uh, Italy gets to stay in the game very long, but you get some quick early wins. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, usually, I guess in the human metagame, it usually results in like Turkey and Russia just like juggernauting and, and steamrolling. Exactly. Austria. That's what usually yeah. happens then. <laughs> but uh, but in this in this metagame, that's not what happens. Actually, like what ends up happening is Turkey ends up opening against Russia, and you get like all sorts of interesting behavior that you don't you don't see in human games. Um, but yeah, it, it, so we had to approach it from an angle of. of Getting the bot to understand that it's not just playing with other copies of itself, that it's playing with humans that are following these like human behaviors that, yeah, you know, okay, bot, I get it. You don't think that this is the optimal thing to do, but you have to understand that humans play in this style and you have to, uh, you have to deal with that. Um, like, I, and, and one example of this is, is language. You know, like if you have a bot that's trained from scratch without any human data and um, in, in, the, in the full game of diplomacy, it might learn to communicate but it's going to communicate. It's going to learn to communicate in some weird gibberish robot language that is very different from how humans communicate. It's not going to learn English, for example, if there's no human data. And then when you stick it in a game with six humans, it's going to not know how to communicate with them. They're all going to choose to team with each other instead of the bot because they're not going to understand what the bot is saying. Now that's a totally fine approach if it's playing with six copies of itself. But if it's playing with six humans, then then that's a problem. And so that that was one of the challenges that we had to overcome. Um, in Cicero. And, and the way we did that is by incorporating the human data as much as possible. We use the human data as like a, a way to ground the, the bot into understanding how humans play the game. That's really interesting. Um, so as you kind of kept going on and looking at how you know things would work and, and, and you know what options were available, uh, to be able to take this to take this forward, uh, it obviously changed the way that you um, you know you, you approached the game and how it actually you know the, the training and the data sets and what it was doing along the way. Um, you, you touched before around how it's it's obviously played just so many games, and, and I think at the moment if if you tend to do the way people normally tend to work and operate when they're playing a game of diplomacy, they're likely to probably lose against the bot. Does that mean that if you were doing more unpredictable type of random stuff that it may throw the bot because it hasn't necessarily seen those type of crazy moves happen before as much and therefore isn't drawing upon that as much in the training and doesn't know how to approach that or is that also being addressed by playing literally millions of games? Well, we do add some exploration to to the bot and so it will explore uh, alternative actions uh, when it's when it's doing self play, and so it, it's unlikely that you can throw the bot off by just doing something really weird. Uh, we also have other techniques to cope with that. So it does what's called planning, um, where it even if it gets into a novel situation, it can figure out how to um, how to handle that well because it's like thinking ahead about okay, what are the implications of me doing this thing that um, you know, my intuition might say is reasonable, but my intuition I can't really rely on here because it's a very novel situation. Um, and, and so I, the, the short answer is no, I don't think that's going to confuse the bot. Um, you might, if you get a few people doing it in a coordinated way, then maybe you could confuse the bot a little bit that way, but I still don't think it would be very effective, um, because the bot is, is doing this planning, is thinking ahead and, and understanding the implications, um, of, of, you know, different actions that it might take. No, that's cool. Um, in one of the, the videos, I think it was, um, well, actually it's in, in most of them, it's been talked around how the fact that the bot doesn't necessarily lie and it's found that by telling the truth, it's 
you know, a far better approach um, to the extent I think that, um, um, you know, if you kind of ask it what's, what's it going to do, I mean, you, you've had to put in place measures so that, you know, it doesn't necessarily say, well, here's, here's my moves and what I'm going to be doing against you. So it doesn't kind of basically be able to be exploited by a player. Um, when in the research project did you actually make the decision to train uh, Cicero in such a way that it would not lie? Um, and that, sorry, that telling the truth was ideally the, the best option rather than actually um, either lying or, or even kind of being um, vague or, or um, with your language style so that people could maybe misinterpret it. Tell us, tell us a little bit around that within the project and how that was addressed. Yeah, we actually, I, I think we finalized it fairly late in the development process, actually. Um, we had a few different versions of the bot, um, some of which would lie and um, some of which, you know, we were trained specifically to filter out lies as much as possible. Um, and what we found is that the ones that were filtering out lies would just do better. I mean, they were just like being rated by um, the annotators as like better bots, um, better players. We found evidence that they were doing better in, in human games. And so it just made sense for, uh, to, to, to use those. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a PR decision. It was, it was a research decision. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Like one is I think humans, first of all, overestimate the importance of deception in diplomacy. Um, you really do want to be very minimal with your deception in diplomacy because as soon as you lie to somebody, you've kind of ruined all trust with them. And it's very hard to build that back. Um, interestingly, I think that is like the least true for the version of diplomacy that we were playing. We were playing blitz diplomacy where all the players are anonymous and there's some of scores scoring. And so if anything, that variant um, encourages lying because you don't have these reputation effects. Um, but we found even there that you want to lie pretty minimally, I think. Um, now, there is a case to be made that you could do better if you were very strategic in in your lying. Um, but we the the value function that we used for Cicero would not condition on dialogue. And so what that means is, you know, you can imagine if there's two ways to reach the same state, the same board uh, configuration, and one involves lying to your ally and the other doesn't, it's better to go to the to go with the route that you did not lie to your ally mm -hmm. um but the bot wouldn't understand that there are negative consequences to lying to your ally because it, it just wouldn't its value function wouldn't um look at the dialogue it wouldn't even understand that it had said something to another player it wouldn't it wouldn't look at the conversations that it's had with the other players when it's deciding you know what what board configurations are good for it and what board configurations are bad at it it would just look at where the pieces are on the board and what the previous action was. And so because it couldn't understand the negative consequences of this of lying, um, it would lie more often than it needed to. And and so then we, we had a choice. There were, there were basically three options. One is we could just let it lie um, whenever it felt like it. Um, the other is we could add some heuristics, some kind of like handcrafted heuristics around when is it worth it to lie? Like if you could get an extra score, like 0.05 some of squares points um, by being deceptive, then then it's okay, something like that. Um, and the third option was to just keep it from lying as much as possible. 
And we ultimately chose the third option because it was doing much better than the first option where it was it was just lying a lot. And then it was much more elegant than the second option. I mean, I, I think adding a lot of heuristics around when is it acceptable to lie is not really in the spirit of what we're trying to do in our research. We're trying to develop general techniques that are um, widely applicable and to handcraft those kinds of rules around when it, when it should be lying was just, um, yeah, not, not in the spirit of the research that we wanted to do. So I think um, I, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I mean, obviously the bot did quite well, regardless of the fact that it was trained to be as honest as possible about its, its intentions. Um, I, I think that we could have done maybe a little bit better in terms of score if it was strategic in this deception. That's, um, but you know, also, uh, I guess from from a comm standpoint, I'm I'm quite quite glad that we decided not to go that route. Um, I think it would have been uh, a much much more complex story um, if if it was intentionally lying to and strategically choosing to lie to other players. So would would Cicero let you know that it was going to attack you beforehand, or if you asked it, what are your intentions? It would let you know, or, or how would it approach that? So it wouldn't be 100% honest with its intentions. It, it, it would sometimes be, be vague. We actually added a filter where um, it would consider a bunch of different messages that it could send to a player and see what would be the outcome of sending that message. And so, you know, if we're France, if, if we're England in the English Channel and we're planning to, like, convoy to, to Brest or something, it's not going to tell the French player, like, hey, I'm convoying to Brest this turn it would recognize that, okay, well, if I send that message and tell them I'm convoying to Brest, then they're probably going to cover Brest. And so then my intention is going to have a much lower expected value than if I didn't send that message, right? Like telling them I'm going to convoy to Brest suddenly makes convoying to Brest a pretty bad idea. Um, And so it would understand that, okay, there's a few different choices that I have. One is telling them exactly what my attack plans are. Um, another is sending kind of like a more generic message. And in those cases, it's probably better to send the more generic message. And um, it would filter out the the very clear-cut um, attack plans that it would send uh, to, to its uh, opponent. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's not going to... It, it's always going to generate a message that's consistent with its intentions as much as possible. And we always feed into the model the the actions that it actually intends to take. Um, but it can sometimes be vague about what it plans to do. And it could also change its mind about what it plans to do. Like it could honestly tell you what, it, what it's planning to do for a turn. And then it, it recalculates its strategy, decides to do something else. And then it just doesn't update you that it changed its plans. When it comes to the open source aspects of, of what you've developed and, and the research, I mean, if some you've mentioned before, anyone can kind of pick it up if they've got enough processing power and, and create their own Cicero. Um, could somebody with the right skills take off the training wheels, so to speak, that it would, you know, if, it wanted, you, if you wanted to make it lie, it would lie or change the filter so it lied a little bit more often or, or less? Well, like I, like I said, the reason why we did this is because um, to do it in a principled way, which is to have a, a value function that conditions on dialogue, um, was just not really feasible. Um, now, that's not to say that it can't be done, but it is, like a, I think, a, a big research question around how could you even do that. Um, and so I think that 
I think that reaching that point in a principled way would require um, additional AI breakthroughs and uh, in, in order to, to really unlock that in, a, in an effective way that doesn't rely a lot on handcrafting and, and these kinds of things. Um, I, I think in one of the videos, I think it was the one with Andrew Goff, there was a conversation where I think you mentioned that the, the bot puts a high emphasis on Scandinavia. Do you know why Scandinavia is so important? Because I think a lot of players don't consider it to be, you know, critical unless, of course, you know, you're England or, or Russia. Um, can you talk a little bit around this? And, and did actually Cicero find that there were other parts of the board it, it actually considered were le- less important that maybe humans consider important? Well, uh, I mean, I can speculate here. It's, it's hard to really understand the details of the bot strategy because um, I don't understand you know, the, the game to the extent that the bot does. Um, but my impression is that as England, if you're able to lock down Scandinavia, then you basically got this, like this front that you no longer have to worry about. And so you're very secure, um, along one of your borders once you've locked down Scandinavia. And that is a really desirable thing to, to have. I mean, we've even seen like if the bot as England is getting attacked, by France, it might just give up on its homeland and focus purely on Scandinavia, because once it locks that down, it could actually turn back and try to reconquer its homeland. Um, it'll also do that sometimes for the Iberian Peninsula. So if it's getting attacked by like Russia or Germany or something, it will just give up on its homeland, hide out in the Iberian Peninsula, and then come back, you know, and, and, and try to reconquer its homeland. Um, I think as Russia, it also makes sense to focus on the north because, you know, you look at at the east uh, of the map and you've got four powers that are fighting over half the map whereas on the west side of the map you have three powers that are that are fighting over half of it and so you basically have more neutral supply centers per power um in the west than you do in the east and so as russia if you're straddling the border there you have a lot of growth potential in the north in fact you have you know arguably more growth potential than you do in, in, in than in the south um and so, so I think that that's why that's why the bot. Um, I mean, I, I can, that's me speculating, but I think that is a good reason to focus on Scandinavia more than humans tend to do. Now that makes sense. And on that basis, I mean, <laughs> as you said, you can't exactly kind of ask this for what. Why do you focus so much on Scandinavia? You know, it's obviously a, a case of making a, uh, I suppose, your, your own analysis around why it's doing that from a gameplay theory perspective. Um, on that, I mean. Is there? I'm assuming Cicero doesn't notionally understand that there's a stalemate line running, you know, right through the middle of the board. Although it's probably unknowingly is aware of it based on the training data. Um, it actually handles stalemate lines pretty well, and I think it, it does end up understanding them because it will experience stalemate lines during soft play. Um, so I don't. Yeah, it's not like we've explicitly coded in stalemate lines, but I think it actually probably does have a good understanding of stalemate lines. Um, and by the way, while we're on the topic, a, a couple other things that I, I thought is interesting that the bot does that humans tend to not do. Um, one is that like, as Russia, it's it's actually pretty fine with losing Sevastopol. Um, I think a lot of players, you know, if they lose Sev, they get very angry and feel like they have to reconquer that at all costs. But actually, as Russia, you've got a very solid stalemate line at Warsaw, Ukraine, and Moscow. And so if you're able to hold that line, Turkey doesn't really have an incentive or, or an ability to push back past that. And so you're able to like maintain this alliance going forward with, or, or be able to work with Turkey or, or Austria 
going forward, even if you've lost Sevastopol. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that as Italy, uh, it, it tends to stab Austria in the early game much more than humans do. Um, and this is generally considered a pretty bad idea, but it's actually worked out pretty well for the bot, at least especially in gunboat games. It, it tended to do this a lot. Um, and I think the reason is that it, it's just, you know, harder for the Russia-Turkey alliance to stick together, especially in a gunboat game, than maybe many people realize um, or appreciate. So, yeah, so the, those are those are some of the things that I think the bot does that's a bit different than what humans do. Oh, also, it will, as England, open to English Channel, um, or it would like to, um, much more than, than humans tend to. Hmm. Um, is there a tendency for it to form particular alliances? No, I think it's actually pretty flexible about alliances. I don't think it, it has a strong preference for, for certain ones. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the nice things about the bot. It, it, will, it will play differently each game. Okay. Um, in, in the video with, with Andrew Goff, um, he kind of mentions around how, you know, casual it, the, the bot is in its conversation. And um, I don't think he necessarily says, you know, you want to like the bot, but, you know, it kind of came across as being quite a, like a normal person who's kind of, you know, there for you to listen to you and give you helpful advice and so forth. Um, when it comes to the conversation style, um, is the conversation style dependent on how a player interacts with the bot? So, like, if you took a very, very formal conversational style to the bot, would it mirror that style or it's been trained to develop a certain language style along the way? Well, one of the interesting things about the bot's dialogue is that it's trained on the entire data set of, of human diplomacy players um, from webdiplomacy.net. And so it, it has within it all these different communication styles. Now, it, because of that, I mean, some of those, you know, can be very, very terse or very unfriendly. Some of them can be like very high level, very friendly, very sophisticated. And um, we obviously wanted it to communicate in like a, 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 the style of a very strong player. And so what we did is we actually asked um, Marcus Zilstra, Andrew Goff, Karthi Konath uh, to write out some initial messages that it would send to, to th that it could send to other players. And so what that does is it basically tries to imitate the communication style of Andrew Goff and, and, um, and Marcus and Karthik. Um, at least it, it, it does that very well, I think, <laughs> based on the, what I've seen being published and knowing the way those players actually communicate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it, it, you can get it to imitate the style of any uh, uh, any kind of style, um, yeah. and and so we chose you know these strong players as like the style that it's trying to imitate. Um, so it, once it once it like is prompted with those styles, then it will continue in that style for um, for the for the rest of the game. It, it could like end up deviating. You know, sometimes it will send like kind of a very terse message, and then it will communicate in a more terse style in the future. Um, because it's just like looking at what the messages that it sent in the past. And so if it sent a terse message in the past, that's an indication that it will send a terse message in the future. Um, th that, that's the idea behind prompting. And so um, you, you could get it to communicate in a different kind of style, uh, but you know that's that's the style that we chose. No, that's cool. Um, also in those videos, I mean, Goffey talks around, um, you know, how Cicero just, just makes good decisions without the emotion. You know, it's not interested in revenge or anything like that. And I think the example you gave about Sevastopol is, is a good uh, reflection on that. 
Um, how did the training of the agent take into account the negative aspects of human emotions and gameplay and avoid that? Did it just kind of learn that that doesn't work? Well, the, like, the bot is trained on human games, and so it certainly understands like how humans might react to different situations. Like it will understand, you know, if, if it captures Sevastopol, um, then the Russian player might, you know, try to recapture it or something, um, even if it isn't the totally rational thing to do. Um, so it, it implicitly does capture that based on the human data. It's not explicitly trying to model concepts like vengeance or, um, or, 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 you know, tit for tat, but it does implicitly capture that through observing these historical human games. So when it comes to that separation between logic and emotion, it obviously doesn't have, you know, um, emotion, so to speak, but it learns how people respond on certain emotional conditions and will correspondingly as a result of that try to counter that. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that it's it's always trying to model what the other players are going to do, and so okay. it's going to look at the it's going to look at the messages that have been sent. It's going to look at the actions that have occurred, and then try to predict what the other players are going to do, and then figure out how to respond accordingly. And um, and so in that process, it's it's implicitly capturing the human emotional element. No, that makes sense. Um, look, I'm interested to know. Look, if if how does Cicero deal with it? If it if literally everybody approaches and says, "I'd like to be your ally." Um, I think it would be very happy for starters. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the best situation to be in, right? If everybody wants to be your ally, um, I mean, I, I think it's going to, um, I think it's going to decide at some point that it, you know has to has to attack somebody, and it's going to look at the whole state of the board. And actually, I think this is one of the things that the that Cicero is, is quite good at. Like, if it's if it's France and it's deciding between England and Germany, it's not always going to go with one or the other. It's going to look at all the details of of the board. Like, what is Italy doing? What is Russia doing? Um, in order to make that decision, and um, and and also it's going to look at the dialogue that it's had, and um, you know, and what the players have said. They said they they their communication style and like um, what they say they're going to do in the future. So it, it will weigh all these things, and and it's not you know just because somebody says that it, it wants to work with Cicero doesn't mean that Cicero wants to work with them. Um, but you know, it's probably more likely in that case. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um. When it comes to Cicero, how did you decide on its naming? Why Cicero? Oh, that was that was a tough one. So we actually had a whole spreadsheet of different names that we were trying to, you know, we, we actually hired um, a firm to propose a bunch of names also. And um, we went through a whole list and everybody, everybody on the team would like vote on different options. And I think Cicero, yeah, it was just, um, it was one of the options. I, I thought it sounded nice. Um, I think a bunch of other people thought it sounded nice. It, I don't think it was like a unanimous first choice, but it, it was the one that survived all the, uh, you know, all the rounds. And uh, in retrospect, I'm, I'm quite glad that we chose it. I think it, I think it's a good name. It, um, it kind of rolls off the tongue. You know, it's got some character. So yeah, I think, I think that was a good choice in the end. No, I think it is as well. Um, that's that's interesting. Um, obviously, you've published the uh, the paper on Cicero to Science.org. Um, can you tell us a little bit around that whole peer review process and, you know, what you've heard through that process and how that may impact things into the future? Well, I mean, first of all, I should say we're very happy working with, with science on this. I mean, uh, 
they were able to get the reviews done like very quickly and um and, and so we're, we're very appreciative of that that they were able to get through the cycle um with, with such speed um uh, and i was yeah i was very happy with like the, re- the reviews that we got um, i thought they, they provided very helpful feedback um actually like one of the reviewers even recommended a change to the name of our algorithm so we had this algorithm called pickle and then we had a follow-up to it called dill pickle and, and then we had another follow-up to it and we really wanted to like come up with something, some background for for kosher dill pickle, um, you know, because dill pickle, like the reason why we chose dill pickle, technically it stands for distributional lambda pickle, um, which we shortened to dill pickle. Um, but you know, really, we just wanted to to have a backronym that would fit dill pickle, and so we wanted something that ha- we wanted to somehow get kosher pickle into the paper, but we couldn't really figure out how to justify that, and so we ended up going with joint pickle in this submission instead. And then um, the reviewer actually pointed out to us that like, oh, well, we can call it coordinated and shared pickle. Um, and then it can be shortened to kosher and koshar. And um, and we were, we love that. So we, we actually changed the, uh, the name of the algorithm to, to be koshar pickle, kosher deal pickle. Oh, that's funny. What have you, what have been your thoughts on how the media has approached the research? Because like I was I was really really surprised to see the amount of mainstream media covering the story. Um, what commentary or insights did you receive? You know, or you saw in the media that you just didn't expect. Uh, and putting us and putting aside any Terminator style references, is has there been any um, really out there stuff that made you you know shake your head and go, "Geez, I just didn't get the the intent of what the project is all about." Well, honestly, I was very pleasantly surprised at how few Terminator pictures I saw in all the media. Uh, we, certainly when we did the poker stuff, you know, we would just see Terminator pictures like left and right. Um, but it, the, the reception for, for Cicero has actually been um, more positive, less sensational than, than we were expecting, certainly than I was expecting. Um, and so I was, I was quite happy about that. I think overall, like the, the media did a good job of um, capturing the results and the significance. Um, you know, there were a couple couple stories where I think they got things very wrong, and pretty much all story like all stories get things slightly wrong. Um, but for the most part, I thought it was actually quite good. And um, and and yeah, so I, I think I think the fact that it was so so positive and and on point, you know, surprised me pleasantly surprised me. So I, I was very happy with the uh, with the reporting. Oh, that's good. Uh, look, we're coming coming towards the end of the interview, Gnome. Um, I've got a, just only a couple more questions, um, but I'll, I'll kind of set, check in with Kainer if he's got anything that he wanted to ask before we start getting close to wrapping up. Oh, it's all very fascinating. I've been um, feverishly writing down notes as you're going, Gnome, so that we um, can have a good old chat around it at a later date. Okay. Um, so, last couple of questions. Now, um, obviously, in the web dip testing, Cicero came in the top ten percent of players. Got the my questions around much the way that Gary Kasparov was defeated by Deep Blue in the nineties. Do you see any plans for Cicero to try to publicly play in a tournament? Obviously, using some well, type of technologies to converse, or, or not necessarily typing, or whatever. Well, I think for us, we're interested in broader research questions going forward. So I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time and effort focusing on diplomacy specifically anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try to develop more, more general techniques that hopefully diplomacy will still um, will still be used as a benchmark in that research, but it might not be the, the only benchmark that we use. Um, and 
So I wouldn't say like making a champion diplomacy bot that will win a major tournament is really like uh, a, a goal that we're aiming for uh, specifically. Though mm-hmm. I, you know, like I said, the, the research is all open source. So we've open sourced the code, we've open sourced the models, we've made the data uh, uh, available to researchers if they apply for it through a, a what's called an RFP. Um, which, if any if any researchers are listening to this and they're interested in this domain, you know, I highly recommend getting getting a hold of this data set. It's super interesting and super useful. Uh, and so I, I hope that somebody else is able to build on this research and is able to get that kind of result. I think that would be very cool to see. After completing the project now and publishing the paper, and, and as you said, you know, obviously the team's starting to move on to other things. Is there anything that you learnt from the project that you never expected and you kind of went, ooh, geez, you know, if I had my time again, I'd do something differently or I'd add something in or take something out? I think there's a lot that I would approach differently if I was to start the project from scratch, knowing what I know now. Um, I, I think that there are some things that ended up holding true that I kind of like thought going into the project as well. So one of them was really the the focus on planning. I think that was the right choice. The idea that we're going to use 56 GPUs at inference time um, in order to maximize the performance of the bot, that is actually like not a conventional approach in a lot of AI research. Um, but it's it's the one that we chose, and I think it was the right choice, and I think it led to the strongest bot that we could make. Um, some of the things that I would change, um, I, I think the space of intentions that we use is, you know, we, we I say we condition the dialogue model on an action for ourselves and an action for the other player that we're speaking to. Now, that works out pretty well. It's a bit limiting in that you can only control the dialogue model in certain ways. You can only, you can't get it to talk about like, you know, what another power is planning, for example. It might decide to talk about that anyway, but you can't specifically control the dialogue model to, to talk about that sort of thing um, intentionally. And, um, and I think I would have approached the strategy uh, side of things with a less game theoretic mindset um, and and more of an opponent modeling, uh, like player modeling mindset. That we're, what we're really trying to do here is predict what the other players are going to do. And I kind of like converged to that over time, but um, I certainly came into the project with more of a game theoretic mindset, thinking that a lot of equilibrium concepts concepts are going to be very useful. So you know, I, I think I think I certainly learned important things along the way. I think a lot of people on the team learned a lot of important things along the way, and we hope that. The rest of the academic community uh, has learned things as well, um, and I think that there's definitely op- uh, room for much stronger diplomacy bots out there. I, I wouldn't say Cicero is, is is the strongest that we can make, knowing what we know now. Uh, we just recently ran a, um, a a trivia competition, which which Marcus was part of. You know, basically it was like a little game show type of thing, and we did have a question around, um, you know, what was the name of, of the bot that Meta produced and. You'd be happy to know that all four players correctly guessed Cicero, but uh, Marcus was an overachiever and kind of gave the names of four different bots, one of which was Cicero, but obviously we're talking about the precursors to Cicero. So um, there you go. It obviously kind of shows that's the past and, and there'll be you know much more happening in the future potentially with this research. Um, mm-hmm. if, if people want to learn more around um, the project or to reach out or get in touch, what's the best way, No. Yeah, well, I'm always happy to uh, to answer questions over email. Um, so you know, you can always Google me, send me, send, reach out. 
Um, if you want to learn more about Cicero, uh, we have a blog post. So you can just Google uh, Cicero Meta AI, and that will probably pop up. And also, I, I, if you're really interested, I highly recommend this YouTube video that Marcus put together. It shows him, it's a, it's a recording of a game with him and six Cicero agents. And he shows all the dialogue being generated in real time, all of his responses in real time, and he provides commentary on it. Um, I'm really glad that he made that video because I think it really um, just demonstrates how, how good the dialogue is and how good the agent overall is. So if you want to get a sense of how Cicero plays, I think that's actually the, the best way for a diplomacy player to, to, um, to get an understanding uh, of, of how the bot does. Excellent. That's really, really great. Um, Noam, thank you so much for your time. I know that we've both learned incredible amount of new things. Uh, and, and look, really, um, congratulations on a fantastic research project. Um, I do hope it makes a, a big impact to the way that obviously the game is is um, able to be involved in in the future. Um, and obviously, yeah, that's a real credit to you and the team and, and hope that you know for the next things that you move on to are even bigger and better. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, as I promised, there was a question I forgot to ask. Yep. Um, in uh, Marcus's game, he's playing against the six bots. Who was Marcus right. playing as? Uh, he was playing as Russia. Okay. Russia or Turkey? No, it's Russia. Pretty sure it's Russia. It was Turkey. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, but the, the the question I wanted to ask was, was the AI bots talking to each other or were they only just talking to Marcus? Right, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So that is a fantastic question. Yeah, I, I, and I totally forgot to ask. Were they were they making their decisions based on their communication with the one human player, or were they actually communicating amongst each other as AI? thinking each other AI was, each Cicero wow. bot was actually a, a, another worthwhile communicational avenue. So, that's a, that's, that's a fucking fantastic question. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that we didn't re- think of that at the time. Yeah, it's only something I thought about later. However, having said that, the whole, um, the whole... I know what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to... Uh, when this comes out, yeah. just beforehand, I'm going to actually send a message to Nova and say, hey, it's going to come out. And we've, we've actually just realised this other thing. There's one question. There's one other question. Answer, and yeah. then we'll find out that. And we'll, we, what we might do, we might do a follow-up in our... Um, just we'll, we'll catch up afterwards in our episode after this one. Okay. And we'll let people know, hopefully. What the answer to that question was. What the answer was. to that question was, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. that's just like, whew, mind-blowing. Yeah, big difference. So, computers yeah. talking to computers... Around what the fuck to do? Each thinking that they're that they're real they're people. People that they're talking to. <laughs> yes. um, look, uh, I think you know, considering that each Cicero bot takes fifty-six GPU to run, right? Which is mind-blowingly—it's a mind-blowing amount of processing power. Yeah, um, um, that's just for each bot. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, we're probably not going to see it anytime soon until you know the the hardware. 
which only could really like realistically take five years to catch up to be able to run it on a yeah, real yeah. on a, on a That's server. a really good point, yeah. Commercially, yeah. Commercially, yeah. But at the moment it's too expensive for a run, you know, as as a as a thing. It's not something you could just set up in your basement and and, and run for the for the fun of it. So as much as I would love to see like a robot at the World Diplomacy Championship uh, playing Cicero, who's interacting with human uh, with humans, uh, whether that's by text or whether that's by you know voice recognition and conversion to text. Um, as much as I'd love to see that, it's still a little way off. I, I, I feel. I must um, admit, okay, okay. So could I can I ask that particular question at the time? Yeah. Because you remember the when COVID first started. Yes. And we started talking to Gary, I want to say Sturley or whatever, who was like, he was in the UK at the time. We were talking to him around the very first interactions of virtual gaming. Yeah, he ran the, um, he did the, 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 the... It was like one of the, is it Tour of Things or UK? Tour of UK? Yeah, or... type of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, Gary, apologies if we butchered your surname there while well, I butchered your surname. But I remember at the time, it was like bonkers because we were just, what's this fucking COVID thing that's going on? We, and, you know, why are people in lockdown? Because we didn't understand at the time what it was. Over and they here had, we didn't. Yeah, no, no, back here we didn't. Yeah, yeah. But in the very first game, they had like somebody there with an iPad who was going around with the person that was online who couldn't kind of make it because they were COVID or whatever. Yep. And like, I would come over to you on behalf of whoever I'm holding the iPad of and they would, you know, you had the and, conversation and with the iPad, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. And I almost had this vision of, particularly when you're thinking about, um, you know, the whole uh, Gary Kasper, Kasperowitz? Kasparov. The, Kasparov, the, the, yeah. The deep mind, deep That, you know, the fact that, you know, the computer, that's something that's a little bit, you don't require communication there. But I can imagine, like, almost, and this is the reason I, th- I asked this question. If the bot is that good, why couldn't you have somebody from Meta turn up effectively? With a, you know, um, avatar a device, an avatar or whatever like that, <laughs> which is like, you know, they're there saying, yeah, and the, you know, the bot would say, you know, I'd like to talk to, you know, I, I, they're Italy, I'd like to talk to Austria. So, you know, they'd be taken over to Austria and they would be able to have like a voice to text type of communication. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and I was just thinking, because you don't want to have people fucking type into this fucking thing because wasting their time unless you gave extra time on the clock for WDC. But I would imagine... Voice to text is pretty good. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you know, you'd think a company like Meta would kind of have it pretty down pretty down pat. Yep, yep. So <coughs> I, that's the reason I asked that question because I can imagine when you consider the timing, is it is it unrealistic that you could do that next year? And I, don't, I think if you put your mind to it, if you were Meta and you wanted to show a, a robot could win a world championship of diplomacy against humans, against humans, human I think the timing is right. Yeah, that would be fascinating. That that would be. Do you think they could do that by August? Of course, I mean yeah. the, the, the hard part has well, already been done. You've built the you've built the train. Employee over there just to, you know. But I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they've got local people in Thailand. Who'd love the opportunity going around with this and be adding it Holding to their an CV? <laughs> it won't be an iPad, but you'd be saying like that, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yep. a way of communicating. I mean, they've probably got other fucking projects they can kind of bring together with it. Wouldn't that just be fascinating? 
Yeah, no, that would be... That, that ties into my idea of robots playing each other. Yes, exactly! You know, like yeah. you, can, you can log into a... You can log into a diplomacy tournament by VR and you control a little robot and you can go and speak to other robots and they've got the emoticons on the screen and you can communicate like that. Um, well, that was just that was just off the, the, the back of how much processing power Cicero runs, let alone... Yeah, that's a good question the, to know. The, yeah. the, the whole... Yeah, the other bit that I... Oh, there's lots of things that I found fascinating. The, the alien... Well, the alien... Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's alien thinking. AI. What do you mean by the, that? Um, the metagame. The, so there's a human metagame in, in, oh, in yeah, playing... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in playing it for... You know, at, at the way humans play, there's a human context. The right? emotion's taken out. And there, there's an... Um, yeah, yeah, but the AI plays it and it doesn't understand that there's emotion. It doesn't understand... It doesn't get... Well, it doesn't give in to it. It doesn't get it, right? It's, a, it's an alien way of playing the game. Oh, so yeah, yeah. when it's... You know, it's very good when it's playing a single human opponent, but it doesn't get when it's alone playing six humans. Yep. That, that, that human nature or that context or that meta um, it's, it's a very alien um, view of the world and so yeah actually I hadn't thought of it that way but had to, correct yeah you know they needed they need they needed to teach the bot that was actually playing against humans not um, not against other bots so it first had to learn how to play the game and then it had to learn that it was actually playing a game against humans who were different from how it learned how to play the game. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that meta um, view of, of, of understanding, it's like it has to, it's almost like a self-awareness a bit, but it has to be aware that it's, the way it thinks is different from the other people, the other, the, the other opponents that it's interacting with. Yeah. Um, look, there's like so many things in this interview that just like got me thinking and like on that on that front you know you think about the whole nature of they looked at how the AI Cicero played if it was able to lie versus and how well it performed lying yeah, so. versus you know being generally open with the truth but you know still having this um, I don't know it's not firewall. This circuit, this this is a way to kind of protect itself from being taken advantage of by that, giving away the game. Gameplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found that particularly fascinating from from the, from the from the direction that we've interviewed very well known and very good players, right? And many of them have said that they don't lie. Yes. Right. Yep. 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 And it's fascinating that the AI has come to that conclusion by itself. It was getting better results by not lying. I don't know if the AI came to that conclusion or the people looking at the results came to that conclusion. Yeah, well, the people came who looked at the results of the AI came to the conclusion that it actually did better by not lying in the first place. Yep. Right? So they went, okay, well, let's just go with not lying and um, put in um, safeguards around, around that. And that's probably a good idea from the point of view of, well... Yeah, can you imagine the can you imagine the metaphorical newsworthy shitstorm if scientists of Meta have invented a AI that knows how to lie? You know that that would have just 
but that that would have been crazy. Yep. Um, but so from from that PR perspective, I get it alone. But from the point of view that it actually performed better when it wasn't lying anyway, it performed better by telling the truth or as close to it as it's able to tell the truth. Um, so it's it's not deceiving, but it's 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 withholding the full truth for its own benefit <laughs> and look i must admit after because it hasn't been that long since we got, i did all the editing for that christmas episode and where, where peter mcnamara kind of you know talked about i think the question i was asking at the time was how to spell backstabber and right. and peter kind of responded amby <laughs> and it did get me thinking around that whole nature of how do I particularly approach face-to-face games? Okay. Should I actually be more like Cicero and be honest, be upfront and say, Kana, look, I really want to work with you, but unfortunately at the moment I'm going to have to actually take your supply centre. And be upfront on it. Or be upfront with it, yep. you know what I mean? And this is, this is not personal, this is just a short-term thing. You know what I mean? And well, I'd probably take that better than if you just took it and... But I'm, I'm really keen to, to see, and we'll talk soon about having a face-to-face <laughs> game. Yeah. But I want to, I, want, I really want to see this in the face-to-face environment, almost like as part of our, um, our, you and my, air quotes, training for WDC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like like Rocky in, in preparation for the big fight. <laughs> I think we need to kind of get, you know, a few games <laughs> under our belt face-to-face. Yeah, true, true. We should, we should. Um, but before well, we move on to that... Before we move on to that, you know, let's, 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 let's wrap this up. Um, you know, the... The choice of name was, was interesting. Yep. Um, how they came, how it was, how it was decided to uh, choose Cicero, essentially um, hiring a company to, to give them a, a list of notes. Um, I'm not surprised, sorry, um, As within my within my, my business, and sorry, within where I'm employed, I can see why something like that would happen in yeah. a large scale organisation like Meta. Yeah, 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 I, yeah it removes um, emotional um, investment exactly uh, in, in the name choosing process I, I get it I get it I haven't um, checked but I reckon I reckon at the moment if you kind of did a, a, a check on the internet who owns the domain Cicero.com my guess is probably is probably, probably meta, yeah, or yeah, meta. Yeah. yep um, you know dual pickle to join pickle to, to coordinated shared pickle um, kosher pickle <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that was I mean, kind of. That, yeah, that, yeah. that was amusing. It totally over my head. I have no idea what pickle was. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, heard like pickle, a, I've heard of pickle yeah. stuff before, but yeah. I, I hadn't heard it in this context. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, and um, you know, I, I think I think at the end of the day, it truly is a benchmark research project, um, and. Thank you very much to Gnome to jumping on and just talking with us um, around uh, well, the state of where the AI research happens to exist with our game in particular. Um, and, and best of luck in applying those principles moving forward in with the other projects. Yeah, um, exactly. I'd love to see it. Um, I'd love to see someone pick up that some of that open source software and really run with it and see um, where that 
can go uh, in, in the sense of both well, the AI, um, the scientific AI research component, um, but also for the love of the game, it would be interesting to see uh, that avenue as well. So, um, yeah, again, thank you, Noam, for uh, jumping on and talking with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so, do you reckon we should um, finish up your drinks and then we'll move on to the next joint? I think the next joint might be, uh, well, um, might be the best choice. I, I, I'm getting hungry. I, I actually keep looking at the taps and it's like, I know I'm, I love my wind jammer, but there's just so many beers and things we could actually drink here. But um, probably shouldn't have planned this location where they've got no kitchen for a lunch session. Really anyway, so let's go and get a bite to eat and um, we'll catch you guys uh, in, in just a moment. No problem. Bye-bye. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Oh, we're at the, uh, the very trendy Newstead Social. Yes. Um, it's always good to have good um, good service from the staff. Oh, yeah. Kind of saying, you know, hey, we're looking at recording. Where's a quiet Where's spot? Where's a nice quiet spot? Yep. So we go in this corner. Perfect. It's great. It's fine. It's fantastic. So how do you describe this? It's in a kind of a basement. Um, it's basement of a factory, I think, at some point. Old factory. Old factory or old, um, you know, something. Warehouse. Commercial thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and they've retrofitted it. A couple of floors. Um, put up some... I don't know, nice green baffling on the walls there. Um, it just looks nice and trendy. Nice and trendy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like us, yeah. nice and trendy. <laughs> yeah, a bit anyway, um, past that. How's your, um, your, what do you end up having? Your mum's fave? Your mum's fave lager. Um, it's by Young Henry's, which, which what drew me to it. Because mm. um, I do like a Young Henry's drop. I saw they had Newtowner on the, on the tap, but so. Yeah. Your uh, mum's fave, so fave obviously favourite. Yeah, um, as a, as an opening, no, as a, as a mid game. Yeah, we're mid game now. So in comparison to a strong opening, yeah, this has um, has led me to believe that my ally, um, <laughs> looking has, at me, has um, it, 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 it's yes, <laughs> yeah, this is this is yeah yeah, um, has not. Uh, precisely uh, followed through with all of the promises that were made earlier on uh, in, in, in the opening. Okay. Um, it's it's still it's still a um, it's still a strong alliance, but it's not um, as beneficial to me as uh, potentially it is to my ally. So I feel that um, as 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 a mid game. My ally is benefiting more from the alliance than I am. Well, you know, it's a bit of a you know, it goes both ways, doesn't it, Kana? So, um, <laughs> as a mid game, my my so you I'm on the on the mum's fave or whatever. Yep. My um, my drink is a West Coast, sorry, West Cape Howe Tempranillo mm. from Mount Barker and WA. Okay. And. Um, I've actually seen this this particular bottle in Dan Murphy's previously, and went, oh, "That looks a bit, that was a bit cheap, and you know." And I didn't realise at the time, but when she brought the bottle out, I thought, "Oh, this is the cheap shit." <laughs> okay. And it's like, 
surprised it, it, it surprised me. Oh, well, okay. And yes. um, and then like I ordered a small serving, and she gave quite a generous small serving. Okay, even better. Which is even yes. better. Yes. And and the taste is is very good. So I think actually oh, okay. this pairs nicely with exactly what you were saying, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is like I've still got my alliance going well, and in fact I'm doing very well out of it. <laughs> And my ally is still sweet, although not doing so well. So if I need to kind of hint, hint, stab him later on. Or throw a couple of supplies. Or, throw, or maybe <laughs> throw him a supply centre here or there just to kind of keep him under, you know, keep him happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so it ties in as you're doing well. And um, and what about your, your, your English and French um, opponents? Are they still in the game? Has it gone that well? Have you conquered England? I think England is still hobbled. Okay, so there's still a couple there. So you've managed now, as a result of your, you know, Sweden-Finland thing, you've got Norway. Yes. And England's going, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm I'm down now to three supply centres. Yes. I can't break through this Holland-Belgium thing. I'm going to hook up with France, obviously. Right. But he's now a really weak player. Because he's being attacked by Italy. (laughs) No? Sorry? France or Italy? France is being attacked by Italy. No? That would be good. That would be very good. That would be very good. Is that that the level of the drink there? Or is it not I I, I don't know if it's being... It's definitely... It's definitely... Italy's interest An Italian army in Piedmont. (laughs) Keeping France under pressure. Okay, okay, okay. It's, it's, it hasn't got Marseille yet. No or, no. or or heaven forbid, you know, Spain or anything like that. But it's but, but, definitely under pressure. Mm, Italy is able to move to the Gulf of Lyon potentially. If if you were to convince him so so he's, he's, he's open to the idea. Yeah, I don't know if it's an army or if it's a fleet in Piedmont, but yeah. Either way... No, no, but there's an army in Piedmont. Yeah. But Italy could move to the Gulf of Leon. He just needs a little bit more persuasion to oh, do so. Oh, because he's, he's in Tyrian Sea. Yes. Yes. Okay, well, right. so, so France is kind of hesitant to move out of uh, any of those coastal territories. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that, that is a... Um, okay, all right, well... I think we're at the stage where we've got our drinks well stored. Well, look, honestly, I think right now we're going to finish the podcast and just keep drinking, and obviously this game in our mind is going to go exceptionally well. (laughs) (laughs) So you know me, I don't don't drink wine too too often. Yes, 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 you're saying Um, this up at the bar. But we uh, ended up getting a couple of bottles of Jacob's Creek uh, double-aged Cab Sav. over the is it double is it double, double, double barrel, barrel? double yeah. barrel yeah yeah, yeah. so it's quite a quite a nice nice drop actually it's from it's, it's Barossa Valley um and it's it's aged in a is it a brandy barrel whiskey or brandy or is it one of those barrels I've had so, it before it's, it's not too bad and actually you're right for the price it's a fucking it's great a, it's a drink. pretty good drink <laughs> yes. so yeah for those of you for, for those listeners of the show that actually kind of vaguely care about all this drinking shit that we occasionally do it's like yeah it's, it's exactly as you said it's like red wine that's been put into a I think, I'm pretty sure it's a brandy barrel okay yeah. well it's definitely got two yeah make American oak brandy something like that and um, it's a really nice drink mm. Yeah, so you've got, you yeah. got this, what, how much did you buy? A case? 
Uh, three bottles. I've got three bottles of it. Yeah, you know, Where'd you get that from? Dan's? Dan's. Yeah. Dan, Dan the man. Or Dr. Dan, as they say. Um, yeah, anyway, I quite easily finished off a bottle. As, as opposed to Australia's other Dan, which is yeah, down in Victoria. Dan, yeah, dictator get on, Dan. <laughs> get on the beers, boys. Get on the beers. <laughs> yeah, 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 not that Dan. Um, yeah, I quite easily finished off a bottle. Like, that's just... Disappears. It's very tasty. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. pleased to hear that you know you're slowly being converted to the dark side. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it's a matter of knowing when to stop with with the harder like, yeah. with, with, with the wines because um, they are tasty. Yeah, you just keep and going. You just keep going, <laughs> and, then, and then the next day you're at shit. You know. So, yeah. Oh. Just be a little bit dusty. How about rat shit? Especially if you've been mixing it with other crap. Yeah. Which is easy to do when you've got cider sitting in the fridge and the beer sitting in the fridge as well. Yeah, it just gets too easy. So, yeah, anyway. Such yes. Is so, a um, couple of other things that are going around at the moment. So, I think I mentioned to you beforehand that because we're, we're on holidays, we've got a little bit of spare time. Yes. Although I think you go, you go back soonish. Uh, end of next week. I was, yeah, yeah, anyway. So, um, I was thinking, I got actually got an email out of the blue. I'd actually been thinking for a while about, look, you know what we should do? We should organise in January a, um, a, uh, a game, a face-to-face game. Let's see if we can kind of get it going again. Yeah, let's see if we can get it done. Yeah. And surprisingly, yeah. out of the blue, I got an email from uh, a, a listener. Uh, who previously had reached out, who's based in northern New South Wales. So he's got about an hour and a half drive into maybe two hour drive into Brisbane. Byron Bay. Yeah, Byron, Ballina, maybe Lismore, okay, yeah, Grafton type yeah, of area. Yep. But he's like, hey, 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 got a bit of time. If you guys want to get a game together, I can actually make it up there. Well, that so, makes three, so we just need four more players. So just going to ask you, how are you on the weekend of the 14th, 15th of January? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fucking not doing anything? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it, yeah, okay. 14th, 15th Jan, sounds good. Okay, so I'll go back to him and say, let's go for that one. He suggested another date, but I'm trying to keep that date free at the moment. Um, I'll have it as I mean as, as a fallback the weekend after the twenty first, twenty second. Yeah, that that's all fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm back at work by then, so either way, like, it's weekend. It's weekend. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that works. So we just need four more players. Four more players. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's see if we can. Now you work on your people. I work on my people, and we'll send something out and see if anyone else bites. See if, uh, yeah, see if there's anything else out there. Yeah, sounds excellent. I'd love, as I said before, before we kind of came here, I'd love to get a game going, mm. just to kind of test a few things. And I don't want you fucking taking advantage of me, knowing that I'm going to be a little bit more truthful than normal. Uh, <laughs> me take advantage of you. <laughs> In that space? No. No. No, I definitely wouldn't be... um, I I definitely wouldn't approach the game knowing that Andy was uh, taking a vow not to tell a lie. I mean, that would... um, (laughs) 
I, and I would, I would definitely not um, let anyone else know in the game. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, I think it's oh, you. Right? Yep. Thank you. No. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. All right, so how do you want to do this? Do you want to eat and... Yeah, we want to pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pause. Yep. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I'm well fortified. Oh, there's a lot of bangers in there. I'm still going on my burger. I kind of asked the, um, the waitress at the time what do you recommend, and I'm finding that's a really good question to ask. Is, they, it, is it worthwhile? Or is it, well, she, she recommended the bangers a match or the uh, the burger. Okay, yep. And the burger's good? The burger's great. Fantastic. Um, her her um, pour on my wine wasn't as generous this time, so the, uh, the diplomacy analogy would be it's still things are still good but all of a sudden my ally is starting to plant <laughs> defensive to units on his border just in case you know I decide to kind of stab him so um, it's like oh, now I'm going to have to fucking put units there just in case you decide to stab me <laughs> okay, okay well I, I haven't changed my drink even though it's still um, it, it's not it's well, it's not, only 4%. It's not as bad as the six percent the other place. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not guaranteeing me an excellent outcome. Um, but it's, you know, I, I still feel like there's value uh, to 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 my ally, even though I still feel that um, I could be betrayed at any point in time. Um, this is why you're fucking putting armies on your border. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So defensive. Ambit, defensive to, to, to deter all of those builds that you're going to be getting from um, the complete conquest of England where I might get in bro but you're getting the rest oh well <laughs> so WDC I think we talked about yes. WDC uh, last episode I'm still going thank you and um I've got a small update for you. Oh, yeah? So I have approached the topic with Mrs. Amby. Okay. But at the same time, we've also been looking at where things are going, you know, interest rates-wise, with due to inflation and blah de blah de blah Oh, yes, taking all that into account. Okay. Anyway, long story short, we're no longer planning a big trip because we can't fucking afford a big trip because we kind of expect things are going to get a bit bad later on financially. I see, yeah. So I'll just be going. Okay, just yourself. But, but, yes, just myself. Yep. And Mrs. Amby's like, yep, have a great time. Have fun. Have okay. fun. But um, it won't be part of a longer extended thing. So, yes, right. definitely happening. I yep. probably need to start planning as a result of that my, my flights before the prices go through the roof. Yes, um, that, that's soon to be on mine. I'm waiting for my um, my passport to, to arrive in the mail. Uh, when I get that, then I'll um, go for the do the tickets because that's a great point. I gotta check if my passport's still valid by then. <laughs> that's a good idea, yes. Um like the way I check if you've got an SD card in the machine. Just like you check that, yeah. Um and the only reason is that is I'm 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 also very aware that a lot of um, travel agents and all that sort of stuff will ask for you know your passport before they book a ticket like that. So yeah. Just make sure that I've got that sitting there and then um Probably go down to flight center or something like that. Hello world, whatever it is. I just fucking book online. Well, I could do that as well. 
but um, at least with a travel agent, I know when I'm leaving and arriving, I don't have to work all that stuff out. You always go back to Goffey, he's a good travel agent. I could go back to Goffey, yep. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of avenues there, we've got a... And then, um, yeah, get, make sure that I got the leave all approved, and bam, I'm, I'm there, 100%. Yeah. Awesome. I've just got to work out whether or not I want to um, arrive early, spend a week, do the WDC and then go somewhere, or arrive WDC and then go somewhere, or arrive way earlier, do stuff, and then WDC and then come home. I've got to work out that. One or the other. I'm not sure yet. So you saying I should just plan around whatever the fuck I'm doing, not worry about you? I'm in, in a roundabout way saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I know you're going to be there. I've I've already, be there. Dreamt, I, I've already dreamt that you're winning it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, spoiler alert, I'm not, but... Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, I think it was because I knew that I was catching up with you today. I think it was last night I had another dream that you were kind of... It was very. It was like must have been early on in the night. Oh yeah. I don't really remember much, but you were definitely there, and you're definitely winning WDC. Okay. Well, it's a four-day event, Andy. So um, it depends if Cicero turns up or not. If Cicero turns up, I don't think anyone stands a chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Mrs. Kane is still going to be over there. She's um, definitely excited to get to to get to Thailand and to. See another country. Have you been there before? No, not been. No. So definitely looking forward to, to, to seeing it. I'm looking forward to um, you know, to all the Thai food that she's planning on learning how to cook, which would be lovely. So do you think I need to plan anything? Like this is just a personal question. So right. depending on what you're planning with, with Mrs. Kana, do I need to plan anything beyond the time I'm actually there at WDC? Do you think I need to be in? Would you recommend me being involved in an extracurricular activity with you, such as seeing stuff or doing stuff or whatever? Or will this kind of factor that in? Look, the the schedule has the boards going from twelve to whatever on each of those days. So there's there's mornings, which are free, and if we're not scheduled on those days, or we've been eliminated or whatever, then we've got the day. Well, you won't be, but yeah, I will be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Being true, so, too so truthful. And then there'll be um, then there'll be time after the scheduled time anyway. So there's plenty of nightlife and things around in, in Bangkok to go and go and see and all that. Have you been to Bangkok? No, I haven't. You haven't been to I've never Bangkok. Never been to Thailand. Oh, yeah. I've been to Vietnam. And I've been to Cambodia. Yeah, okay. I've been to Malaysia and Singapore. I haven't been to Bang- uh, Korea, uh, Thailand. Bangkok's just really a big Asian city. Really. It's got all of the, you know, the usual Asian city stuff. You've got your, your temples and your different markets and your different nightlife places. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think if anywhere you'd want to go up to maybe Ayutthaya a Utah and a half day trip or something to so a Utah used to be the, the, the capital city of Siam okay. right but it's, in, it's fallen into ruins 
and it's um, it's not too far from Bangkok, really. You know, but as as that's probably the, the closest like real historical spot that I can think of. In, How far in, is it out of town? Uh, in a couple of hours. Yeah. Day trip. It's a day trip. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if it's changed a lot in the last however long since I've been here, ten years. But eight years? Yeah, anyway. But there's never a problem finding somewhere to stay. There's always places like you could rock up literally to a new town and find a hotel. It was not a there was nothing difficult about that and the prices were pretty cheap. I feel like going on a day trip is going go on the day trip. There's not much planning you have to do to go and do something like that. Excellent. What, were you thinking about going down to the islands or something? I don't know. Like, it's just myself. I don't know if I want to do some of the things that I want to do with uh, Mrs. Amber. Yeah. I'm even sorry if I've got someone else. I mean, I'm happy to kind of travel by myself. I've done that. I've been the Great Wall of China when I was in Beijing for work or yep. business. And um, when did that? And, at the moment, I'm having the discussion with Mrs. Painter about like what the actual overall plan is. Like, is it is it just staying in Thailand and going like doing a circuit of Thailand, or is um, is she interested in going to Laos and going down the Mekong River down into Cambodia, or is it spend you know, as little time as possible in Thailand and going actually doing some other regions in Southeast Asia. Like, what's the, what's the overarching goal is, is, is the question. The thing about having a, uh, a long-term committed relationship, isn't it? Sometimes we have to be mindful of the, uh, the feelings and aspirations of others. Yes. Just like a good game of diplomacy. Just like diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, but that, totally aside, totally looking forward to the WDC. Yeah. Um, and my understanding is that the website for registering is going to drop soon. Oh, is it? Maybe by the time this is released. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Um, it will be. Hang on. da di da di da It's a pretty easy one to remember. It is... WDCBangkok.com Oh, so easy to remember. How good is that? How can you not fuck that one up? WDCBangkok.com At the moment, it's still... uh, Drink too much and and pop on online. Somewhere else entirely. Yes, um, if you get a different type of WDC Bangkok. Yeah. I mean, as of the time of recording, it's it's not up yet. It's a site saying it's about to be up, oh, okay, um, but um, but maybe hopefully it'll be when this releases. Cool. Um, I don't know about you, Kane. I mean, maybe this is a good point to start wrapping things up for our normal show and move on to the Patreon. I think so. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great spot to uh, we do to that. Move it on. Yeah, we can do that. All right. Thank you, gentlemen and ladies. It's a pleasure talking to you all and I hope you enjoyed our uh, latest episode of Diplomacy Games and we'll talk to you guys next time. See you then. Bye bye. bye.